You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Happy Mother's Day. It's great to have you here. I know this is a Mother's Day that probably in some ways could be easily forgotten because of our situation here, and yet at the same time, it might be one that will never be forgotten. And uh, the difference may be the way that we handle it. So um, happy Mother's Day to all those who are in our uh, Thrive community and in our general community as well. So we are now in our fourth week of the spring cleaning series. And as such, uh, we've talked about how we're going to clean out the clutter in our lives to make more room for Jesus and the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about how to get rid of that chronic guilt that seems to just cling so closely to us. Even after we have asked for God's forgiveness, somehow it still haunts us and comes back. How to get rid of that chronic guilt. So we dealt with that last week. This week, um, something that seems to, in some ways, go hand in glove with guilt, we're talking about today. And that is how to get rid of our toxic shame, the shame that so easily discourages us and limits us and keeps us from taking the risks and having the courage that God would have us um, in any situation. And so we're going to um, read our text today, which covers that, and then get into the points of the message, um, just with a prayer. So our text today is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, who was much younger, these words. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So far our reading. Would you pray with me? Lord God, on this day, this day that we celebrate our mothers, our grandmothers, um, our wives, um, we thank you, Lord, for the gift. Um, We know for Timothy, his grandmother and his mother were very influential in his life and the faith and the pattern of life that they had. And we know how influential our mothers are in so many ways, in so many good ways. Thank you, Lord, for their gift. And we pray that you would bless them this day and not only be honored today, but um, always, Lord, in our lives. 
We ask, Lord, that you would um, take these words that were spoken to Timothy and speak them personally to us today. For we are so easily discouraged and disillusioned and become timid and shrink back from the calling you have for us, Lord God. So often we don't do what we can because we're afraid of what we'll look like, Lord. That kind of shame creeps in time and again. And we pray, Lord God, that you rid us of the shame that would hold us back from holding on to you and your promises today. We do pray, Lord, also for um, all those who are risking their lives right now in our medical community, in our first responder community, for those who are on the front lines of this virus, that you would protect them and give them your peace and your protection today, that, we, that you would be with those who are working in the public, from grocery stores to sanitation workers to the essential workers in so many fields that are also, Lord, at risk, that you would protect them and keep them safe. And that you would, Lord, give us in your church wisdom to know what is appropriate and when it is. And courage, Lord, to be your people in a time of uncertainty. And fill us with such hope and such peace and such joy that the world gets to see it now. Lord, renew your church. Refine us during this time. And reform us in whatever way you see fit for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. We know you are using these times and these days. Do the spring cleaning you need in our lives. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're dealing with today shame, not guilt. Though they do fit together, there are big differences. And we're going to do these three points from this passage. First of all, what shame is so we understand the difference between that and guilt. Secondly, why it can be debilitating or paralyzing. And then finally, how to overcome it. So first of all, what shame is. And Paul in this second letter is talking to Timothy, who is a protege, kind of a son to him. And the word shame or ashamed comes up twice in this text. Paul first tells Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ or of his apostleship. And then later on, Paul says, I am not ashamed even though I am in prison, even though I am facing and suffering and being treated like a criminal, I am still not ashamed because I know whom I believe. Now, the Greek word that's behind these two instances in this text is this one here, uh, epa. Episkunomai. I know, I should be embarrassed that I didn't say that even that well. Um, but, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to understand these words. But um, as I studied this text, episkunomai is used numerous times in the New Testament for being ashamed. It means how we despair over ourselves and our status and the loss of it, or how our reputation is questioned by others, and we become disillusioned, think, oh my goodness. And uh, we feel that kind of shame. Paul could have felt shame for being placed into prison, for being treated as a criminal, for being ridiculed and rejected by the majority. Paul himself had done nothing wrong, and yet he could still experience the shame because of the disrespect and the dishonor and his ill treatment and even the abuse that came with it during the imprisonment and the beating and the sort. Now, much of the New Testament understanding of this word shame also comes from the 
Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament and its foundation. And uh, when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, they used two, they translated, they used the word episkunomai for two Hebrew words, bosheth and bosh, that both are talking about this. And when you're studying those words, you kind of understand a little more of its context because it's not just an individual who can feel shame but a whole city or a community can experience the shame of being disrespected or an organization because they undertake a, um, an event or an experience, but it kind of falls apart or they fail. And so they fall from their position of what they assumed they had a respect down into um, kind of a loss or a failing. They found want, uh, being wanting. They feel disgraced before others. So you see, from this word, what happens is shame is much more not about my relationship with God as it is about how I see myself because of how you and my community see me. So shame comes from losing or being found wanting or being disgraced in the eyes of others, and then I internalize that and take it into myself. So I take that, res that disrespect, that um, bullying, or that uh, words of <laughs> you know, people laughing at me, not with me, and I bring it into myself and I internalize it. You know, Someone might call you a fool, or man, you must be an idiot to think that, or a loser, or a failure. And then you turn that in and say, I'm a loser. You label yourself a failure. You say, not only did I make a mistake, but I am a mistake. And that's when shame hits you. Guilt is failing in your moral relationship with God or how you have failed someone else in what you did or didn't do. And it's expressed by you having a feeling of, oh, I'm so sorry I hurt you. And look at the damage I caused to our relationship. But shame is simply failing to attain the status you thought you had, and it's much more internalized, and it's not really about anyone else. So I can feel shame, and I have at times when I've tripped over a carpet, and when I recognize people are laughing at me and feel like a fool, and I don't know if I'm even competent to walk. Have you ever felt that? Yeah, or when you pass, I know, something as obnoxious as passing a little gas in a public place, and then they, people know who dealt that smell, and you feel embarrassed over a very human issue, right? Or I have been caught a couple of times, pre even preaching here on Sunday morning, and all of a sudden after the service, somebody comes up and says, um, John, your zipper is down. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, it's, oh, you feel ashamed, exposed. None of these things are really moral failings. But there are feelings of your own finitude, your own incompetence or inadequacy. And they are normally feelings of vulnerability and weakness that we all have. And that's why Timothy uh, might have felt them too. And Paul writes to him and says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
Now, why would Timothy be ashamed? Huh? Well, think about it this way. Christianity was minority of minority religions at his time and day in the whole Roman Empire. In Ephesus, where Timothy was an elder of the church, that city had a quarter million people, and of that, only maybe 100, 200 people were members of the Christian community, a minority of minorities. And Paul himself, the great missionary of the faith, was right now in prison, treated as if he were a criminal or a kook or a con man. Something must be wrong because... Guilt by association, because he's in prison. And Paul himself, even when he was in front of churches, appeared to them often as weak or not fully as strong and powerful as other speakers. We get that take from the books of First and Second Corinthians, where they considered Paul a weakling himself. And Paul did nothing wrong to end up in prison or be treated or disrespected the way he had. The church had done nothing wrong morally that Timothy was in charge of, and yet Timothy could still feel the shame. Joseph Burgo sums up what shame feels like. He says it's that painful feeling about how we appear to others and then to ourselves and doesn't necessarily depend on us having done anything. That's the difference between guilt and shame. Annette Kemmerer puts it a little more specifically. Shame is that uncomfortable sensation we feel in the pit of our stomach when it seems we have no safe haven from the judging gaze of others. We feel small and bad about ourselves and wish we could vanish. It's just like... <laughs> so that's what shame is. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, and we don't need to experience it to the level that we often do. But we're going to explore before the remedy to shame, its debilitating effects. Why is it and why can it be debilitating? And I think there are uh, a number of reasons. Just like last week, we talked about how guilt, chronic guilt can lie to you and we buy into those lies. Shame also can lie to you and it questions you at your very core of your being. So... There are three points we're going to have under this. Point A is that shame questions your own, un, your own worthiness. You know, everyone fails, everyone falls, everyone has foibles in their lives. We're all limited. We're, we don't know everything. And yet what happens somehow when we experience that feeling of shame is we think we have to know everything. We have to be perfect. We have to be invincible. We have to be on top of it all. And we are so scared that now we have been shown to be vulnerable. And, he, and so it's almost like we feel exposed. That's the feeling of shame. And we experience the self-recriminations that we are not what we thought we had to be. Brene Brown has done a lot of research on shame and vulnerability, and she writes it this way. I define shame as that intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. So we jump from the truth that we, are, uh, we have failed to the lie, I'm a failure. We label ourselves. We logically leap from the fact that I made a mistake to I must be a mistake. We extrapolate from I don't understand that to I am stupid. 
We label ourselves in a way, one, worthy or, uh, one way or another, of being unworthy. Now, Timothy himself might have had reasons to feel unworthy. And to question his own position as an elder of the church, he had been called into that by Paul. He had been placed there at Ephesus. And Timothy himself was very young. And later on, Paul says, don't let anybody disrespect you because of your youth. But in that culture where age was an extremely honorable position and Timothy being young, he could easily look at himself and say, I, I, you know, I'm just too young for this. I, I don't have the experience I should. I don't know that much. And Timothy himself was not originally from the town of Ephesus. So he's kind of in a new place. He doesn't know everything about it. And Timothy has had the experience of having been well-educated, from what we can tell. And so he knew all about Greek philosophy and writers and the whole Greco-Roman world and all these wonderful uh, speakers and everything else. And he himself probably understood how much less he knew than all those others knew. And therefore, you know, what do we have as Christians and then Christianity itself? You know, it's founded by Jesus, who himself was dishonored and who was publicly shamed. And he experienced the most shameful form of death possible upon a cross. You realize crucifixion was not set up just because it was a little torturous, but because it exposed someone, stripped them of every possible dignity and expose them for hours so that they would be ridiculed and derided and sneered at so that it wasn't simply a physically uh, torturous event, but a psychically and emotionally torturous event to publicly shame someone so that no one else would do what they did. And that's what Jesus experienced. So uh, Timothy had reasons maybe to question himself. And to focus on himself and look at himself and say, well, I'm not good enough. And I don't know enough. And I'm not like they are. And you can almost see how easily he could think that that's being humble and down to earth about himself. And how he could disqualify himself from being all that God had called him to be. Now, I want you to understand one point about this whole understanding that shame so often questions our worthiness. Here's the reality. God does not set up some standard of worthiness for us, look at us, and if we don't reach a certain level of worthiness, he will not love us or want us or call us or use us. He does not do that at all. He invests his whole life into us. Shame will lie to you and think somehow you don't, meet his standards because of your limitations, but God doesn't choose people based on whether they have gifts or no gifts or limits or no limits. But shame can be debilitating because it questions your worthiness, and that's a lie. And shame also raises the fear of failure and loss of your status, and as a result, we shrink back, even being paralyzed from doing anything that might cause more shame. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said, for God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
The word fear in this text, in some English uh, translations, is the word timidity, to shrink back from doing what you know you could. You're afraid to take any risks. And when you are afraid to take risks, often shame is swimming underneath the surface. Christine Kane said it well when she uh, wrote, the only problem is if you don't know who you are and whose image you're created in, you will certainly be trying to get your significance, your security, your value, and your esteem from other people or things, and they were never created to satisfy you. And the inevitability uh, consequence of it all is that you will end up full of shame. When you are needing esteem and honor and status, and you are seeking it from your performance in front of other people, you'll always be calculating what's going to make me look good. How can I get a little more of the honor or status that I need? How can I maintain my status? What will do so that I don't lose it? And you will always be focusing on yourself, and you're always going to play safe. And when you do, you will also not be daring for God, and you will not take the calling of God that he has given you to do everything you can and grow into the whole person that God has called you into being. Shame raises the fear of failure and the loss of status, and it can paralyze you. That's why Paul said again, this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gifts of God, which was in you through the laying out of my hands, God had given Timothy great gifts to be used for the sake of the church, but Timothy seemed to be hiding them, being concerned about how he might look in front of others. He kept them small. He didn't fan the flame and grow them. He probably thought he was being humble by doing that, not thinking too highly of himself, but he was thinking too little of himself because he was thinking about himself rather than looking to God and thinking about God's calling in his life. How many of you have been afraid of failure and therefore have not taken a risk? Who have not done something that you know you could have done or should have done because you might be embarrassed at doing it? How many of you have held back from developing the gifts of God that God has given you? How you have then it's not that you've just lost an opportunity, but you have actually robbed the church of God and the people of God of the gifts that God has given you for them. The gifts were not for you. The gifts were not for Timothy. The gifts were for the church, and God was using Timothy as his instrument, but Timothy was holding back. My question about all this is, who are you listening to? Now, I know in the modern Christian church, it's easy to listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and sometimes they are very encouraging and uplifting, and that's what we want to be at Thrive, that we can see the potential God has for you, that we can see the calling God has for you, and to call you out from holding back. But that's not always been true about many Christian churches. There are many times that you might have giftedness in a church, but because you do not have the status that other people have, you're going like, well, maybe I shouldn't they seem to, that's not from God. Maybe some people have told you that you are too young. Others who might say, well, you're too old, you know, let the young people do it now, give up. 
or you're just a blue-collar worker, or you're not educated, or you're a woman, and therefore you shouldn't, and therefore you can't, and then therefore you, because you're, and all of these other reasons that we come up with that are not necessarily what God comes up with. My question is this, who are you listening to? Is it from God? Is it from yourself? Is it from others that you're listening to that voice? Christine Kane aptly uh, preached this kind of message. She spoke and said, um, when did you elevate someone's voice above God's voice? At what point did you believe that you are too dumb, that you're too stupid, that you'll never amount to anything? There's always addiction going to be in your family. There's always going to be divorce in your family, that you can't go to college. Where did you believe the lie? What uncle what teacher? Who told you? Because so many of us are living so far beneath what God has for us because we've elevated the voice of the world, the voice of social media, the voice of our teachers, the voice of a parent above the voice of God. Who told you is critical. At what point in your life do you believe the lie that crippled you and paralyzed you and kept you so far beneath the will of God for your life? Who told you? So shame can raise that fear of failure and loss of status, and it can speak to you to paralyze you from doing what God has called you to do. And what's really behind that is this. Shame is focusing you on you. Shame focuses yourself on you. That's the lie behind all the other ones. We think, oh my goodness, I'm limited. Oh my goodness, I don't have, I don't know everything. I don't have this, I don't have that. And that we have to, we have to come up with the answers ourselves. Annette Kemmerer writes this, as at such moments we feel humiliated and exposed and small and are unable to look another person straight in the eye, we want to sink into the ground and disappear. Shame makes us direct our focus inward and view our entire self in a negative light. And somehow we think we have to solve the problem of our own worth. That we have to become strong and invincible. That we've got to convince ourselves. That we've got to brag about ourselves. That we've got to bluff our way out of it. That we've got to compete for our significance with other people. That we've got to fight for our worthiness. That we've got to just keep talking to ourselves as if we're going to solve it. And that's the lie that has started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve believed the serpent, when, they, when he said they could be like God, that they could be their own gods, that they would solve their own problems and chart their own identity and find their own self-worth and find their own significance. And in Genesis 3, it says, when they had eaten of the tree, they were ashamed. So shame can be debilitating because it turns you on yourself. It paralyzes you from the actions that you can take and use your gifts. And it can question your basic worthiness. So how do we overcome this? Here in 2 Timothy, it's very revealing that Paul writes this. Therefore, to Timothy, do not be ashamed for the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us 
and listen to this, and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Wow, that's powerful gospel words that can overcome shame. And I'm calling you today to believe your calling. Did you notice in that text how he says, you have a holy calling? Can you say that to yourself right now? I have a holy calling. Because you do. And not only that, he said, I have a calling. God has called me in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That this holy calling predates my even earthly existence because it was in the mind of God and his plan from all eternity to call you by the gospel through Jesus Christ. And that he has called you to be his very own and that it has nothing to do with your own status or worth or what anybody else thinks of you because of what God has already chosen for you before any of this began. Isn't that amazing? Believe your calling. Your worth is outside of yourself. It's not what you come up with. It's not what you manufacture. You have been created by God and planned from all eternity. Before the ages began, he planned to have an eternal, divine, loving, joy-filled relationship with you that will extend for all eternity because he has created you and he has redeemed you in his son, Jesus Christ. And he has given you a purpose in this world to display that wonderful, loving relationship he has for you because of Jesus Christ to others who need it as well. You have a divine calling. Believe that calling that God has for you. And B, I'm calling you to all to believe your giftedness. As Paul wrote, and we've gone through these words a couple times, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You're gifted. You're talented because God created you. And you're gifted because the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you have been redeemed. And your calling is to fan into flame the gifts that God has given you and to live in the spirit of love and power and self-control. Now, we could go on a whole different sermon series here about giftedness, that every believer is gifted, and to overcome the feelings of shame or grandiosity based on your giftedness, because your gifts are not about you. They're about serving others in the body of Christ. They're not for yourself. They don't inflate your ego. They build others up. And you see that you are a valuable member in the body of Christ. And actually, if you look in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Romans 12 and other places where Paul talks about the body of Christ, that there is no real hierarchy. Christ is the head and we are all members of it. So you are gifted. And you are called. And I think foundationally, the real point behind these two is to know whom you believe. That's what Paul says to Timothy about himself. He says, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. So Paul in the middle of prison, in the middle of all the accusations, in the middle of the false rumors that were spread around the Roman Empire about him, uh, uh, in, in the gossip that was going on in the Corinthian church and other churches with all the super and false apostles that were going around discrediting him and trying to 
through all of his shipwrecks and imprisonment and stonings and beatings and rejection and ridicule, Paul said, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Know who this Jesus is who's called you. Know what he has done for you and the shame he has taken upon himself to have you. That's what you need to know. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, looking to Jesus, not to yourself, to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you realize that all the shame experiences that you've had in your life from childhood through adulthood, whatever age you are, whenever you faced it, that Jesus experienced them all right there at that moment on the cross. He was in the glory of God, receiving all honor and glory from his Father and the Spirit, giving all honor and glory and community and love together from all eternity. And he was... It was not below him or beneath him at all to come to this earth, to our limitations, and to face our shame straight on and take it on himself. And all the glory and honor that he had always had from his father was replaced by the derision and the ridicule and the castigation and the rejection and abandonment of the cross itself by not only all the, the mob before him, the religious and the irreligious there that day, but also even from his father who turned his back on him at that moment that he'd never turn his back on you. And it says here that he despised that shame, that he didn't take it into himself, he put it to death there, that he didn't let it define him nor define you or any of us or our eternity but instead, his sacrificial love defines you. His life is yours. Everything about him is now yours. And again and again in scripture, it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. You know, it's one thing to have the applause of a crowd or to receive a little award or an honor from a group of peers it's another thing to receive an honor or a reward or recognition from someone you consider is an authority or an expert in the field of your endeavor. But it's a totally different category to receive honor and glory and welcome and acceptance and approval from God who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And that is what we have. You are well-pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. You are his very own beloved through Jesus Christ. That is the truth of the gospel. Now, you may have very deep-seated feelings that we haven't even gotten into today that um, could be uh, really, um, boy, 
It could take good conversations like time and again to, to even explain them as a child what you had uh, endured at the hands of some adult figure in your life that you had loved and wanted and needed. Um, whether you, you know, experienced this and had to be placed in foster care and you felt like it's all your fault because the family was falling apart, whether you had a, a parent who abandoned you or parents who divorced or parents who did this or an adult who did that, whether you were even uh, abused in one form or another and, in, and somehow you've internalized that and taken it in on yourself and you thought, oh my goodness, it must be my fault. I must be wrong. Something is terrible about me. No. You did nothing wrong. Nothing. That shame is a lie. It doesn't, it cannot question your worthiness because of what God has said over you. You don't need to repent of something you did as a child in those circumstances. There's no guilt there, but there is shame in what you need to hear is in the eyes of your loving father, you are precious, you are a princess, you are royalty, you are a prince. You have all the status given to you of Jesus Christ himself, the son of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are seated in the high places with Christ Jesus. Again and again, the New Testament gives you your status because of what God has done for you in Christ. He esteems you. You are worthy of all of his attention, all of his love for all of eternity. That's what he is saying. And I look at myself and go like, look at what I've done. Look, I don't, but this is our God. We're celebrating our God today and how good he is. And so the way to overcome shame, if you want to, don't look at yourself. Look to your savior. Look to all that he is, all that he does, all that he promises, all that he has sacrificed, all that he has for you. I love how Psalm 34 puts it. In verse 5, it just basically says this. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Let's pray. Lord God, this uh, day, we just thank you so much. Uh, for your goodness and grace in our lives, that there is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, when we do experience the feelings of shame, Lord, put them into perspective. Put, help us to put them into the perspective of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can confess our status because of Jesus Christ, that we understand that um, we can live in courage, that we can live in the giftedness, we can live in the calling that you've given us. We can look to you, Lord Jesus, and be radiant. Oh Lord, we um, pray that you would be with um, everyone this Mother's Day as we've been talking today, that you would um, truly show your love and mercy to our moms wherever they happen to be, and we pray, Lord God, that you would be working in their lives. We lift up to you in our congregation this day. Um, we're going to lift up to you, Carrie, who is up at the Cleveland Clinic for a mitral valve replacement, and we pray, Lord, for her, her husband, and the whole uh, family for Lloyd and Helen, that you give them comfort and peace over the next week and a half as this um, whole process is going on. Keep them safe. Keep them in your care. We lift up to you, Andy Blankenship, undergoing um, immunotherapy now. We thank you for this step, and we praise you, Lord, for how you are already working in it.
Lord, um, we again pray for uh, your kingdom to expand at a time when nations are trembling and organizations are questioning and everyone is filled with anxiety and confusion. We ask for your clarity, your peace, your goodness, your direction, so that we know the steps to take one at a time, that we are prudent, that we as a church do not just use our freedom uh, to claim our rights, but we use our freedom to serve others in their needs. So bless the food um, drive tomorrow. Bless um, the mask making that we are doing and the encouragement to healthcare workers and others, Lord. Um, bless our families with your peace and give us all these things because of Jesus Christ. Lord God, um, there may be other prayer requests. I'm not sure uh, today, but um, you know them all. And we place them all before you, and uh, we thank you that you are the one that looks on us with your smile of goodness and grace and call us your beloved children. So in Jesus' name and because of his stead, we stand in his righteousness alone. In his name we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you again for being with us at Thrive. Again, just following this service today, we will have a, a, a short time of devotion and celebration of prayer, confession, and communion. And we'd love for you to participate. And I believe, uh, Wyatt, did you, were you, he put up the Zoom um, contacts there. Uh, and you're welcome to join. It'll be about five minutes as I prepare for that. So just here again, I think one of the great blessings of God is just how he looks on us and smiles on us that he told his people long ago in the book of Numbers. And he told his, his high priest then Aaron to bless the people, place God's name on us. And I think when we carry that, shame goes away. And that was the word where it said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Amen. So go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.